This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. It's been a long time coming, but finally the Darlinghurst Theatre Company's ambitious production of a chorus line has taken the stage at the Sydney Opera House, no less. For a musical about dancers, the role of the choreographer is crucial, as is the director. Luckily, with this production, it's the same person. Her name is Amy Campbell, and last year she also spent time as the resident director on the hugely successful musical Hamilton. But she stepped away from that to realise the dream of seeing a chorus line hit the stage. Amy, a very good morning and welcome to Overnight. Thank you so much for having me today. How unusual is it to be both choreographer and director? And in a chorus line, is it actually essential that you be both? Look, this production has existed in many forms over its uh, entire creative period, but the original production had Michael Bennett at the helm and he is a director and choreographer. So it does feel um, poignant to be holding both of those job titles down. Um, and, and while I think the piece can exist with lots of different humans, um, it's been an absolute honour and huge challenge to take both hats on on this show. So the original production on Broadway was, well, in fact, it, was, it predated Broadway, but the original production was 45 years ago. What is the usual protocol for a production after the original? Do you have to stick with the choreography or can you basically do whatever you like? And this is a show about dancers after all. Yeah, so the show ran for 15 years, which was one of the longest running shows in history. I think the seventh, actually. This is the first production in this country that has been granted permission to have new direction and choreography. So that in itself is quite significant. Uh, The original is amazing and intimidating when you get handed the reins to um, reimagine the work. But it comes with, you know, I still wanted to stay true to the original vision of the show, but just put my own um, heart and soul into bringing it to life with uh, our beautiful, amazing cast. So it's still in, uh, set in 1975. Um, a lot of the thematic issues still run true for dancers uh, in terms of what it is to audition and, and literally put yourself on the line every day um, to secure employment. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty special in the way that none of this choreography has ever been seen before in this country, which is scary, but also pretty amazing. Because... With a chorus line, there are some moments, especially at the end, where people want to see that big moment where everybody is there on stage. You've changed it a bit. They're not wearing gold. They're wearing silver. That is a bit different, but we still get that big chorus line at the end there. What else can you change? What do you go to with this show and think, you know what, as good as it was, I can make it better or I can make it different? Yes, I think you defined it perfectly just then. Um, I never sought to make it better because I think the work is beautiful. I just sought to find the truth in terms of what I wanted to say. And for me, you know, I was a professional dancer. I had a career for 18 years. I danced in many different companies, in many different genres, and that's what I thought my strength would be as a choreographer, bringing just my versatility in choreographic influences. Um, So our production, you know, there are definitely some big, beautiful numbers in the show that are about ballet or about a certain period of 1970s American Broadway jazz. But 
I wanted to truly just honour the athleticism of the time, but really use lots of different influences choreographically. So, so the audience kind of feels like they're watching it again for the first time. Like it's familiar, but also it's satisfying in a way that there's so much to see. So it premiered nearly 50 years ago. How has dance changed in that time? Because when A Chorus Line began in 1975, it was kind of at the end of an era in Broadway, and yet it was a groundbreaking musical. We'll get to that in a second. And then after that, into the 80s, Broadway changed totally. It was dominated by these huge British musicals. So it is kind of that that pivot point in a way. It was the end of one era, the start of another one. What was dance like then and how has dance changed now? The one thing that rings true for dance is that it requires such elite athleticism to pull off you know, this degree of performance eight shows a week. So styles change almost daily in terms of what is popular and and what people are interested in learning. 1975 jazz choreography that Michael Bennett um, conceived was incredibly technically difficult. So it relied on dancers having a lot of ballet and jazz influences. That is still kind of true for our production. However, you know, we have an eclectic group of performances who bring their own, you know, movement vocabulary to the piece. So I think you've got to take the pressure of yourself to keep up and just keep finding the truth in the dance. Um, The thing that I know feels true for me is um, all of that sweat and hard work and all of that energy you put into maintaining yourself as a physical dance artist that's the kind of thing I wanted to bring to the stage so people can see how hard the dancers are working see them out of breath see them you know just on the edge of making a mistake that feels like thrilling live theater so the show is all about an audition and various dancers are cut from the chorus line as the the show goes on at the start and then at the end what about the audition process for this particular production how many people turned up and were in a chorus line for you to choose? (laughs) Well, this production has been trying to find a stage for two years. So in the initial auditions, we had about 600 submissions for 19 jobs, uh, and that was extraordinary. So we went through seeing 600 people uh, in person and also via self-tapes. And then, of course, due to the pandemic and and all of the um, excellent challenges that brought We tried to remount again the next year, and so most of those auditions were done online. So on Zoom, people were dancing and singing in their living rooms, doing scenes. Uh, I never thought you'd be able to cast a musical via Zoom, but here we are. And and a lot of these actors in this production, I didn't meet in person until we stepped into the rehearsal room. Uh, So they, they booked it digitally, which I just... I think is amazing and bizarre. Um, And then I've actually issued 42 contracts for this particular production because it's taken two years to find the stage. Um, Many performers have taken other opportunities or, um, you know, when theatre came back, it came back with a vengeance. So it's actually quite difficult to, you know, continually find amazing humans to put in this show. So I feel like I auditioned for this show more than we've actually performed. Mm. And that's taught me a lot. (laughs) It has had uh, some false starts, as you've mentioned. So there were some previews and it was just about to open and then COVID hit and then it was going to open again and then COVID hit again and finally it is on stage at the Opera House. It was supposed to be at the Darlinghurst Theatre, which is a much smaller stage 
than the Opera House. How would you have staged it there? Well, I guess the silver lining is I knew that it worked in a smaller theatre. So any stage outside of that didn't really scare me. I designed it kind of like a Rubik's Cube, like every square inch of the Dalyhurst Theatre was used to maximum advantage. It was a really different uh, production in that room. Um, But having brought it to the Opera House stage and the Drama Theatre, it sits so beautifully in that room because there's just a little bit of air for the audience to lean into the show, to embrace their surround. And something about that beautiful horizontal proscenium just rings so true to this lineup of, of 20 humans. So, yeah, it's been a challenge to, you know, I never thought I'd have to redesign the show three times before it got an audience. But I guess that is a privilege in itself to be even working at this point. So um, I'm always willing to work as hard as, as people are willing to come and see a show. Amy Campbell is the director and choreographer of A Chorus Line, which is on at the Opera House at the moment. As I keep mentioning, it premiered nearly 50 years ago. The original Broadway production ran for 15 years, you mentioned. What was so groundbreaking about it? Because at the same time, and we heard a lot about this when Stephen Sondheim died, he kind of reinvented the musical by getting rid of all those choruses. But this one reinvented the musical by giving us one single chorus. Why was it so groundbreaking? I think for so many reasons. There hadn't been a show before that that had really featured the what we call the ensemble as the principal stars. So there wasn't really a story that existed that taught, you know, a lot of musicals exist about the star or, you know, the, the hero's journey, whereas a chorus line is is about every human on that stage and not just the person at the front of the, you know, downstage centre. So I think that ran true for a lot of people to get to know what that story is, like the people behind many amazing scenes that work just as hard as anybody else on that show, but get to be featured and you get to hear their stories. It's also considered one of the first kind of reality style musicals uh, in terms of, you know, it's interview style. The actors step forward and, and let you in on their story and um, and it gets quite personal and intimate in times. And, and so it feels real. It doesn't really rely on fancy sets or anything else but the performers standing on stage and, and doing at their bare bones, singing and dancing and, and, and captivating an audience for over two hours. So I think it felt real and it felt human. Thematically, it talks about all the things we all struggle with as humans, the need to be seen, chasing your dreams, falling down, um, you know, uh, obstacles that we all go up against in this world. So I think even if you're not a performer, you can, you can relate to, you know, yeah. the harder yeah. parts in life, but also the absolute joy when you find yourself swept away in doing something you love. So I think for so many reasons, 1975 was a, a really important time in American musical theatre and shows like A Chorus Line, shows like Hair, you know, really shaped what the next 10 to 15 years of theatre looked like. So I'm really grateful it was made, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> because that was at a time when Broadway was in decline in a way. Fewer people, much fewer people were going to Broadway shows in the early 1970s, and this kind of brought them back. Now, one of the interesting things, as you mentioned, though, is there is no star as such. There is the director, but at one point you just hear his voice for quite a long time. So you can kind of move people in and out of the show. The show is the star. So that's why it runs for 15 years, because people who go to it at the start to see this star, like Hugh Jackman in The Music Man or something like that, well, they're not going to see a chorus line for that because the stars weren't there. 
it's kind of theatre at its best because if you go in ready to listen to the story, you're going to get swept away with it as opposed to watching a human perform the story. So, I mean, my cast are all stars in my eyes. Um, but, of course. But, but, but you're right in the ways that um, you you are so open to receiving whatever this story is. Um, they're, they're, they're all as strong as each other and they're all kind of as important as each other in this show. They, they sort of can't get away with... There's no slacking off, as 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 they say in the show, because they really don't leave the space. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's I think ten minutes of the entire show that they're not all on as a company. So it's quite demanding in that way. But that also means that it's a challenge for you as a director because much of the production is people standing around. One person steps forward and tells their story. And as you say, there's one part of it where an individual, a man, tells his story and there's no one else on stage except the director. That's one part of it. The rest of it, we are hearing their stories and everyone else is just kind of standing there listening. How do you direct them to stand there and listen? You make the story so good that they're listening too that they just have to be present. (laughs) I mean, it is a challenge and that's why I wanted to do it because... You know, it sounds so simple in its in its form, but actually it was so challenging to constantly think of ways to keep the actors engaged, to honour the stories, to keep the focus where it needed to be, as literally they just step downstage and tell their story. But my job was to hold that focus, but also design in the imaginative worlds that we go into so many different paintings for the audience to never see the same picture twice. So, um Yes, I think that was the that is the biggest challenge of the show is to honor the the text that is coming out, but to also keep taking this audience on a on a journey so that you know it's it's not just what, what, like watching a, an interview on Netflix. You know, yeah. it's truly engaging. But these people don't want the other person to get the job. They may be listening sympathetically to their story, but in fact, that is a direct competitor. And if that person wins you over with their story you are less likely to get that job. Correct. And we talked a lot about that in the rehearsal room. How did every word get you closer or further away from getting this job? Um, and and it's so true. We, in as artists and, and actors in this world, we get typed out in terms of who looks like you, who sounds like you. There is that hunger for to get the job and knowing that everybody on the line is good, but they're all your competition and even if they're your friends, they're still your competition. And, and that is the most bizarre place to exist in as a performer because obviously you want to be there for yourself, but you're trying to be supportive of your friend. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're there to try and book this job. So I think that is fascinating. And I love watching them all um, deal with that on a nightly basis and see, you know, how they have to calibrate their performance based on somebody else's. I think that's um, really exciting theatre. Have you ever worked out what show they're auditioning for or what kind of show it is? Because it's never revealed. We know that it's an audition and in the end only eight people are chosen of the original 24. There's four men and four women. Do we know what it is that they're doing? Did you have to create a backstory of what show it is that they are actually auditioning for? I think that's the superpower of the show because if you knew the final destination, maybe you'd get there before we needed you to. So I love to let the audience imagine what kind of show they're auditioning for, you know. Um, I think that's exciting. Zach in our production uh, creates so many different genres and, 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 and things for them to jump through that I think we're constantly guessing what kind of show he's making. So um, I think letting the audience discover that for themselves and letting their imagination you know, really engage in what kind of show they think they're auditioning for. I think that's 
that's the fun. Because if you give them all the answers, then why do you need to come to see the show? But they need to know, don't they? Do you need to tell them, okay, we're auditioning for Carousel or something like that, or we're auditioning for a very cutting-edge musical that none of you have ever been part of before? They need to know what they're auditioning for, don't they? We did talk a lot about that as well, um, and it felt like it was a kind of new groundbreaking show mm. in our version that Zach was auditioning them for because of the way in which he asked to get to know them and, and learn about them. But I can, I can tell you from personal experience, sometimes you rock up to an audition and you don't even know how much the job is worth. You just sort of, you know, are putting yourself out there going, okay, well, you know, this is a workshop for some new show, but it's going to pay the pay the bills for two weeks. So here I am. So there is an, there is an element of truth to sometimes not knowing what you're auditioning for. Fair enough. What about the music? Um, one singular sensation. That's kind of one of the best known, one of the two best known songs, or I hope I get it, is another one. But What I Did for Love was a big hit in Australia for Marsha Hines in the 70s at a time when people d- still did have solo hits or did have hit singles taken from songs from Broadway shows, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It's such a. It's such a special time to remember that musical theatre used to cross over into the mainstream. Yeah. It would be like, you know, hearing what I did for love on, you know, on Spotify, on, you know, the Discover Weekly kind of playlist that they play. So, um, yeah, uh, it, the music in this show is timeless to me. Marvin Hamlish is a musical genius and the way that he can get story and narrative out of these songs, I think that's why people connected to them because... They don't just feel like theatrical songs. They don't feel pigeonholed into, you know, um, typical storytelling. They're just, they're beautiful melodies and they're incredible arrangements. So, yeah, I mean, look, I would love to see the, you know, the days that musical theatre gets back onto the pop charts. That would be, (laughs) that would, you know, well, you know, things like Hamilton absolutely cross It's moved into the mainstream, that's without doubt. But, and the album has been a hit. But there's no real singles from it. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, King George the Third on, well, whatever the equivalent of Countdown would be. But you mentioned Hamilton, and at first glance, I would think that a chorus line and Hamilton could not be more different because one is an ensemble piece with no single star and with an unusual approach, but still a very traditional Broadway music. But the other one is a show with like multiple moving parts and a frenetic pace. And yet both of them opened first at the Public Theatre in New York and were nurtured into Broadway classics. They won Tony Awards and a Pulitzer Prize. So in the end, they've got a lot in common, don't they? They absolutely do. And uh, my time at Hamilton was amazing. Uh, and there does get to a point in your career where, you know, you don't think those shows cross over. And then physically, you cannot be in two places at once. So I was so lucky to finish my time there just before I opened a chorus line. And Dean Dreberg is the new uh, resident director there. But Hamilton is such an excellent lesson in storytelling and you know you can even youtube the hamilton cast doing a tribute to a chorus line where they are seeing what i did for love and and do their headshots uh, moments so two shows that are completely opposite in genres but are both about excellent storytelling uh it's about american history of um yeah they're they're fascinating too i never thought i'd be a part of both productions um but one um hamilton taught me so much about clear storytelling and 
it taught me so much about being brave with your choices. So even if, you know, A Chorus Line is not a, a hip hop rap musical, what it taught me as a director, I definitely thought about and, and considered as I walked into A Chorus Line and made it for this very last time at the Opera House. There is a difference though, and that is with A Chorus Line, you're kind of given a free hand to choreograph it and direct it the way you want it to. Whereas with Hamilton, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty strict. It's choreographed within an inch of its life and there isn't really much room for improvisation. What is the role of a resident director in getting Hamilton on stage? Yeah, so um, Hamilton, you're exactly right. Um, it is, you know, uh, comes with beautiful direction by Thomas Kale and choreography by Andy Blankenbauer. Uh, and um, yes, the job of a resident director is to maintain the integrity of the work, is to teach the understudies and get the covers up and to once the work is set um, you have a hand in setting the work with the American associates that come out and then literally they entrust you to look after the work and and nurture the work and grow the work uh, over the season so um, it's a really beautiful job and a gift to have that honour to look after somebody else's work uh, especially a director you know I hadn't worked with before so that's, that's a lot of trust there whereas a chorus line it's um, is completely different because it's a different licensing agreement and the opportunity to direct and choreograph uh, your own work is very rare in this country so um, I like to continually job change and, and think about the ways in which I can grow myself as an artist. So each are com- ask completely different things of you, but, um, but being a resident director and, and really learning about what it is to grow the work and, and, you know, look after the work with the Australian company was amazing. Um, but then to make the work up yourself, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. The beauty of being a director is you can change it. <laughs> Again, so many people have tried to answer this question and there are as many reasons as there are opinions about Hamilton. But why do you think it's gone? It's broken out. It is more than a Broadway hit. It is a hit all over the world. It might reinvent musical theatre. We haven't seen too many more hip-hop musicals the way that Hamilton approaches things. That might happen in the future. Why do you think it somehow just grabbed the zeitgeist? For so many reasons, um, but mostly because it informs humanity that there are so many seats at the table that, you know, these genres and these titles that we call musical theatre or dance or art, you know, they can exist in so many different ways. And and it just takes a couple of brave people to be like, oh, this this is also a great way of storytelling. And I think people get excited when they're introduced to something new and you know, Hamilton on so many macro and micro levels changed how musical theatre works, changed the systems in which, you know, um, there are equitable opportunities uh, for inclusivity, for casting and accountability through all of that. It uh, The way that it tells an American story through its musical influences. I just, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is uh, a genius. And, uh, you know, with every new storyteller that gets to make shows, I think the world gets to be a better place. So Hamilton is... You will see in the next 10 years how much it's influenced, but even just I can see here in the Australian industry how much that show has, for the better, influenced just how you turn up to an audition, uh, the kind of material that you're willing to tackle, 
even just the stamina that it takes to do Hamilton. Yeah. It's 50 songs. It's what it asks of you it, uh, is incredible. But what it teaches you is it, it, even better. So, yeah, I can't answer it. I, I didn't make <laughs> it, but um, I'm a big fan, clearly. <laughs> and and shows like that, that influence your work for the better, but more importantly, influence your humanity for the better. I think the world could do with a few more of those. We haven't seen a Hamilton movie yet. There has been the the filmed stage production, that's one thing. There was a chorus line movie, though, with Michael Douglas. Did that work, do you think? Um, who am I to judge? If things I'm asking work? you to judge. Because <laughs> I don't Look, think it had anywhere near the impact of seeing it on stage. Yeah, they're completely different versions of the story, right? So the film is set in the 80s. Um, it has a few different narrative twists. Some of the songs are different. So... I think they're not a direct comparison. For me, however, the the movie version was my first access to the show. My grandma had the VHS and in the school holidays, that's how I first discovered the show. So I have a soft spot for it because it's the reason I got introduced to this story. And I remember performing it as a kid, you know, stuffing my, my singlet with boobs and things and doing all sorts of performances for my family. So what it means to me sentimentally is probably different to what I think of it artistically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the film got panned a lot by uh, some critics. Um, but for me, those artists in that film, they're incredible. And some of that acting and some of that dancing is absolutely exquisite. So the stage show is different. The stage show is real and live and unedited and breathy and sweaty and all of the things. So obviously I ha- prefer prefer the stage show, but the film is the reason why I now know of the stage show. And when you grow up and before the internet, I mean, I was grateful that the film did exist because it allowed me to have access to the story as opposed to wait 15 years for a production to be mounted over here. What about Hamilton? How do you think they should approach the film version of Hamilton? Should it be stagey in a way or should they open it out and do it on site? Ooh, I mean, I think that's the exciting thing to see, right? I think what they did with the Disney Plus version is really intelligent. I think there's a new genre for musical theatre, somewhere in between being a film stage production and it being a movie musical. Uh, And knowing Hamilton, they'll probably just make up a new genre on how to film it. And we'll all be like, why didn't we think of that? (laughs) So I'll be interested to see what they do because I think both versions would work. But yes, knowing knowing how they continually change the game, they're probably going to make up a new way of of shooting it and we'll all be enthralled by that. (laughs) Hamilton is about to open in Melbourne. People have been waiting a long time to see it in Melbourne. They've heard about it for the rest of the world. A chorus line, though, after all these fits and starts, will end. How sad and difficult is it to walk away from something that you've invested, what, three years of your life with, it seems, uh, and it doesn't go on tour? Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's, um, it's the beautiful heartbreak of making art. Um, you can work so hard for an opportunity and uh, give it your absolute best, but everything ends eventually, all shows close eventually. And for me, I'd much rather have gone through the last three years uh, and got it on the stage, even for its beautiful four-week season at the Opera House. And never say never. You know, I believe, you know, lots of things can happen, but it's almost like the show breaks my heart in the way that it's supposed to in, in that way. Um, I wish lots of Australians could come and see 
this amazing Australian cast in in our version of A Chorus Line. But, you know, having been through what we've been through, every show that we get to perform is an honour and I know it's going to go so quick. And after the last two years of just not working, I'm going to take whatever whatever we can get and just uh, be really reminded of, you know, it is such a privilege to even get your own show on so yes I wish the whole country could see it but also it's not going to take away from the fact that I'm so glad anybody here in on Gadigal land in Sydney can come and see it so yeah it all theatre just breaks your heart I tell you sometimes it is so (laughs) ephemeral in that way and we don't even know with a chorus line the show within the show that could have closed after a couple of nights we never know what happens to that show it doesn't exist once you walk out of the theatre Yeah, exactly. It is just a snapshot in time. It's two hours on this one day in this one moment, which just gives you an insight into the extremes that we live as artists. You know, I've done many shows that haven't opened or, you know, TV shows that have closed after four episodes or shows that have been pulled before you even get to the rehearsal room. We don't know. We never know. Nothing is actually ever guaranteed. So I think it really honours that part and those moments in our in our life um, very well. But yeah, we don't know if the show that the director Zach makes was any good. <laughs> we'll never know. They should have done a sequel. Amy, thank maybe you. Will. Maybe maybe I'll make one, hey? <laughs> what a great idea. Amy, good luck with it. Uh, thank you so much for a great production. Good luck with your next one as well, and uh, hopefully we'll, we can talk again soon. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It was great to talk to somebody who loves theatre as much as I do. Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio. Radio.